to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone who's very eager for sun and get my hands in the dirt and be able to grow again. And um, that's our topic for today is all about growing food in our backyard or in a community. And uh, we have a gardening geek in the office, in the office, I mean, gardening geek in the studio, um, Courtney, um, Courtney Cheetah with uh, the Minnesota State Horticulture Society. Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Thanks so much. Thanks. So tell us a little bit about your background again. Sure. So I am a, a just like you, a student of permaculture for a very long time. I did my horticulture degree at the University of Minnesota, went back for my master's in agricultural education, led the student organic farm on the St. Paul campus for about 16 years. And then uh, right before the pandemic hit, I switched jobs, switched jobs to working with the Minnesota State Horticulture Society, and I'm absolutely loving it. It's just been a a really great change of pace, and yeah. Yeah, and I, I know I visited that farm um, at the University of Minnesota, so tell us a little bit about what that looks like in your experience, 16 years there. I forgot yeah. it was that long that you were yeah. with them. <laughs> long time. Yeah. We went from a 20 by 30 foot plot up to an acre, uh, eventually up to six acres of certified organic land there on the St. Paul campus, growing absolutely everything you can think of and things people have never heard of, like... Uh, uh, wonder berries and uh, lechy tomatoes and all kinds of crazy things. But right. I don't know about wonder berries. <laughs> oh, wonder berries are a wonderful thing. They, they are. are in the nightshade family. Okay. They um, they have little teeny tiny black fruits that when you eat them raw, they taste like um, they have a melon kind of flavor to them. Mm-hmm. But if you put them in like a muffin mix, they turn into blueberries. Mm. They're an annual. They're super prolific. They um, are way more productive than a blueberry plant, and you don't need acidic soil um, to, to grow them. Um, they're one of my favorites. Like, they just really were a fun, exciting find that grows really well here, and uh, it's just a really fun one to put in the garden. Well, and I have always think of berries as perennials. Mm-hmm. Right. This is an annual, so it's not perennial here. It will reseed itself in your garden, so it does come back a little bit. Um, but it's one that you can grow year after year as well. Now, um, we've had a wonderful luck with blueberries. We mm-hmm. grow a lot. But one of the little things we've done for a long time is just take the old Christmas tree uh-huh. and put it in the blueberry patch. Nice. That's <laughs> great. Yeah, that's great for acidifying your soil. And that's what it, those blueberries need for sure. Okay. So yeah. I, I want to talk more a little bit about your experience 16 years. But now you're with the Minnesota State Horticulture Society. Yeah, so, and I, I get yeah. to – Support community gardens and school gardens. Um, the the two main programs that I run are the Minnesota Green Program, where we partner with different entities like the Friends School Plant Sale and garden centers and nurseries and even just individuals who have, who like me, start too many plants in your basement, <laughs> and then you have too many that don't fit in the garden. So then they come to us, and from there we distribute them to. Um, last year we had about 220 participating gardens around um, the metro area, primarily, but some further out as well. Um, and then the other program is Garden in a Box, where we um, partner with organizations like schools, after-school programs, summer camps, um, treatment centers, uh, low-income housing developments, and we provide them with all the supplies they need to start gardens. So it's the garden bed itself, the soil, the compost, the seeds, the plants, the tomato cages, the fertilizer. They have to they have to add labor and water. <laughs> but other than that, like we we give them lots of educational materials to to, to you know to strengthen their knowledge, and uh, they teach the next generation of growers how to grow. So it's a really fun, exciting program. It is. And now you've been – so you've been at this for decades. <laughs> I know it's kind of funny how life is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, definitely. It doesn't really it's feel like crazy. It's, it no. is crazy. What do you see the trends as? Is this is, – is gardening growing? 
I think gardening is growing. I mean, especially during the pandemic, we had, you know, a huge influx of people who were stuck at home and growing something was a, a great way to, you know, be engaged with the world around them and it was safe to be outside. So we had a, a huge influx of growers and I think there are still people, you know, even though things are getting more back to normal that are still growing and actively growing their own food. Um, it's a, it's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, one of the things you're, on your website, it says the physical and mental health benefits of gardening are needed now more than ever. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, we just, we, we have so many stresses on our lives and, and growing things and being engaged with that life is just so affirming. Definitely. Well, I think of all the technology and how everything's speeding up. And so just to be in with the soil. Yeah. Definitely. Like just, you know, going outside, planting some seeds, watching them grow. It's so exciting. I noticed that the little, there's like little scylla in my yard yesterday that started popping up and those little blue flowers are coming. And I know it's like an invasive and it's not native and it's not, but it was there when I moved into my house and I've slowly been, you know, culling the patch, but it's just such a like affirming spring is finally coming I know. <laughs> moment. Yeah. and But it has been also a trickier year. Oh, um, definitely. So what are the consequences of it? Kind of this, I mean, are we... I mean, I think that we just aren't having an early spring. We're having a normal year. Like most years, mm-hmm. it, you know, doesn't warm up till beginning of May. And that's what we're seeing. You know, we're, we're, it's... You know, a lot of things were really, really late. Like um, maple syruping was crazy late. Like a lot of years we'd start that in February. This year it didn't start till the beginning of March. Um, but we still had a pretty good flow of maple sap coming. Uh, my dad actually taps maple trees all over my neighborhood. It's really fun. Uh, and so, you know, that still had a pretty good good yield this year. Um, and your neighborhood is? Uh, Hamlin Midway. Okay, so you guys are tapping. Um, urban trees, yeah. Urban trees. yeah. Yeah, he started out, uh, I gave him like three taps seven or eight years ago <laughs> when he lived uh, in Iowa with lots of maples in his yard. And it's grown, and now he has something like 43 ma- uh, taps in 20-some trees all over town. So it's got, it's got a bunch in my neighborhood, his neighborhood, my aunt and uncle's neighborhoods, my cousin's neighborhoods. It's really fun. And then he goes around and collects the sap about, you know, every two, three days and then takes it home, boils it down, and then we get fresh maple syrup. So, so I'm going to give you a magic wand. <laughs> And you get to decide what the urban landscape looks oh. like in 20 years from now. Here's your magic wand. Tell me about what, what what life is like. I hope that we have, like, very, very little grass. Maybe some grass in parks for kids to play on and play sports. But honestly, I think we need pollinator habitat everywhere. I think we need food crops growing in our front yards and our backyards and our side yards. Um, I hope that we have lots of perennials, you know, things like – Raspberries and fruit trees. I have a peach tree in my backyard. Ooh, I have a peach tree too. <laughs> it, doesn't it feel like a superpower to harvest peaches in Minnesota? I know, I know, I know. It's it magical. really does. It's totally magical. Yeah. I have alpine strawberries under my peach tree. Nice. In the front yard. Excellent. Mm, yeah. yeah. And, you know, I really want to see more edibles in the landscape. Um, I have a, it took forever, but I have a kiwi in my backyard. So the little, the hardy kiwi that produces the little fruits that are like the size of your, your thumb. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're, Super bountiful and delicious. They took forever to establish. But now that they're going, like every year I get a huge crop of those. Um, grapes. Last year I had enough grapes to, to make jam and jelly, so that's fun. So I think, you know, having more perennials in the landscape, having more natives, having more native pollinator habitat, um, places for all those good insects to, to combat the, the pests. Uh, I think all those things are really, really important and hopefully 
part of the future. The I'm really excited about the the lawns to legumes program, and they they're they're taking out lawns and putting in more uh, natives and bee happy pollinator habitat. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And more um, communal spaces because I mean, people are living mm-hmm. in apartments. Yeah. Um, and um, we can say a lot about that. But um, the to have places um, – let me jump because there are things that people who are living in apartments right now can do. Yeah. So it's, this is not – you have to own a house in order to garden. Definitely not. There's lots of community gardens. Um, there's community gardens in practically every neighborhood. I've been working on mapping them for the last two years. We're getting very, very close to being able to have that map actually up on the website um, for people to find the gardens next to them. But, um, you know, there's community garden spots and there's new ones op- starting all the time, which is really, really exciting. And it's because of those people that don't have access to land need that access. Um, so that's opening up. Um, there's also, you know, patios and, and balconies and things like that where you can grow on if you've got a little bit of sunlight. There's even stuff, you know, inside. You can, with a grow light, you can do a lot or even just a sunny windowsill. Um, windowsills aren't the greatest for growing, starting seeds, but they, you know, in terms of houseplants and other uh, herbs and things like that, they can do just great. I have, um, we have a room and uh, so we have a big fish tank. So we actually use the uh, water from Mm -hmm. the fish tank to fertilize our plants. Yeah. So it it kind of just pour it back and forth and we have and it's kind of chaotic but mm-hmm. it's 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 got some good chaos like yesterday I was yeah. actually nibbling on the nasturtiums the edible mm-hmm. flowers I'm yeah. not sure I'm saying but um but yeah it's just so fun to have that that in the house I mean you know, yeah. get a little bit more bugs. <laughs> right. <you know? laughs> but that's all right. I can coexist yep. with them, right? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, and then um, I, I don't even know if I want to say this. This is kind of half half crazy and half embarrassing, but I was thinking this might have actually ended up being a lucky thing. I, I bought a bag of onions from the co-op mm-hmm. and then got back and did not get all the groceries put away. And somehow someone just grabbed the little bag and threw it in the under <laughs> some other spot. So I didn't even notice it. And then... We left them alone, and now they're, like, growing these greens, and I'm finding that I'm actually getting more food from this. So what yeah. did I do with my onions? Is that- yeah, I mean, onions are spread, like, bi- onions are biennials, so they are – their nature is to grow a second season. Whether if, – if we don't eat them, that's what they're going to do. Um, and so, you know, if you, you – it's starting to produce roots – if you threw that in the ground, it's actually going to produce flowers and seeds. You can save the seeds from those and grow more onions. Um, it's just magical how how the the sort of abundance of nature in terms of being productive and uh, and providing all this delicious nourishment for us. Yeah, it is, and I actually really like um, onion greens or the scallions mm-hmm. parts of it. And so I can pick these, and they'll just keep growing too, right? Yep, they will. And so um, sometimes you can have a plant, one of these onion plants, where you will um, get your own scallions around. Um, have you ever done that? Yeah. So I have a big patch of the Egyptian walking onions in my backyard that are so productive, and they are, they're perennial. They come back every year. They they they're a really fun plant to grow in that they they um, and from the little bulb that's in the ground, they produce these greens, and at the top of the greens, they have the the flower which turns into the, the seeds and the bulbils, and they, they get heavy enough that they kind of flop over. That's why they're called walking onions, because they're moving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they sort of plant themselves uh, in the next spot, you know, 8, 10 inches over from the, the original ones. And they're just so great. They're already up. They're probably, I don't know, 8 inches tall already in my backyard mm-hmm. and are ready to be harvested. And and so buying scallions, which is a it's an annual, it's 
super intensive scalings. You have to like, you can replant them multiple times throughout the season, but it's so much easier to just go out there and harvest those Egyptian walking onions. So, Well, yeah. and I've also um, have had those in the yard for decades now. And it's just, it is really fun. And actually it's the one thing that I probably get the most food from. Yeah. Because it's up already and you just throw some of these greens in with an egg and some mushrooms and yeah. it's just pure heaven. It's like perfect. But the other thing is about, see, it's like seeing an old friend. You know, you have a <laughs> yes. friend from high school and then they're like, you see them every year and you just have that familiarity. Yep. And it's having that with uh, with life. Yeah. Yeah. So you're listening to Food Freedom Radio, and we're talking with Courtney uh, Cheetah with uh, the Minnesota State Horticulture Society. We'll be right back. Can I do? Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, and in studio with me is Courtney Cheetah with the Minnesota State Horticulture Society. And um, let's let's start just talking about how people can start. Let's do some beginner tips on gardening if you have access to a yard. And maybe you're thinking, maybe that grass is looking pretty darn boring, and I know it's not good ecologically, and I just don't think I want to mow. <laughs> yeah. It's not really all that much joyful for mm-hmm. me anymore. So what could people do? How, how would you yeah. even start? So first thing you want to do is look at the sunlight um, that that area is getting. Ideally, you know, five to six hours of uh, sun is probably considered about partial sun or partial shade. Eight hours is really ideally um, full sun. Uh, I think there's some magical trick where like June 16th is the longest day of the year and we can get up to like 15 hours of sun on that day. So if you have at least 13 hours of sun on that day, then you know that you've got a good full sun spot. Um Otherwise, you know, if you've got a shady area that's got maybe four hours or less, that's that's probably considered more like a full shade area. Um, but there's still lots of things you can grow in that area as well. Um, we actually have a really, really great resource for people who are just getting started um, called Dig In that's available on our website. It's on the homepage right there at the top. You can click on it, um, share your email address with us, and you can download that. It's like a mini publication that's... Oh, I can't remember if it's 10 or 12 pages long, but it's got step-by-step ideas for getting started in terms of thinking about planning your garden. It's got all kinds of tips on like what will grow in each of those different sun regions in terms of edibles and uh, ornamental and natives. Um, It's just a really, really great resource that I am loving right now. Right. And so your website is northerngardener.org. Yes. And so people can just go online and get that. Yep. Um, and so, um, what what do you, what do you see as the first step? First, or you said first step was looking at understanding the light. how much sun yep. you have. Yeah, looking at the light is definitely really important. Um, and then you know, starting to kind of make a plan. Um, that could mean you know, getting out a, a piece of paper and a pencil and sketching what the area looks like, um, and then starting to fill you know, making a list of the things that you want to grow, um, and then figuring out what's going to grow best. Where um, that can be found on things like seed packets and plant labels and tags and things like that, um, and then you know, uh, diving in. And then I, I think it's really really important to like keep keep some kind of journals, keep some kind of record of what you did when you did it, so that next year you can go, oh, that was a disaster, or hey, that worked great, and I want to do it exactly the same way next year. Um, so I think that that's a really important step as well. 
And um, a lot of people say you start with the soil, understanding your soil. I... Yeah, definitely. I think um, doing a soil test is really nice, just a basic one where they give you like the NPK, the organic matter, and the the pH of the soil um, is a good first step. You can get that at like the university extension office. Um, and the the that'll help you, you know, get an establishment. Even if, if you're not going to do that, even just adding compost, um, adding a couple inches of compost is a really important step in terms of building soil, making sure that the organic matter is in the soil, making sure that the nutrients are available for those plants that you're going to grow. Those are all good steps. Um, and box gardens, of course, are great with because um, you get the high quality soil in there and mm-hmm. you can concentrate it. So yeah, raised beds are nice. They they often the trick with raised beds is that they dry out sooner. They have better drainage, and so they you can they warm up faster in the springtime, and you can get started growing sooner. Um, one of my favorite tools is also a soil thermometer. Um, they're the ones that are like five six inches long. Um, they're super awesome. I have mine stuck in the ground right now at my house so that I can, you know, wander by every day and check it out and say, oh, okay, it's only 38 degrees. Oh, it's 42. Once it gets to that 55 degrees, that's kind of the magic time for the cool season crops, and then you can start planting those. I have already planted peas. I'm mm-hmm. optimistic waiting for them to come up. I actually planted lettuce and spinach seeds last fall when I planted my garlic. Mm-hmm. So um, that as soon as this – and actually I at least two of those little – uh, spinach seeds have sprouted and have Ooh. their first little cotyledons. So it's like, yes, okay. Did you bring photos? <laughs> just I don't. I can send you some. Um, but yeah, they're they're just starting to pop up. So that's that's the best way to get sort of the earliest possible harvest of of greens in the springtime. Is yeah. So let's going. let's talk about the uh, the timing of this because mm-hmm. this is um, last yeah. week in April already. So. Um, uh, so when would you when would you plant? Uh, tell us a little bit yeah. about what time you plant so, what. I mean, cool season right now is definitely the department we're in. Um, so greens are really good to start thinking about planting. Lettuces, chard, uh, kale, anything in that brassica family. Those are all cool season crops. So cabbages and kohlrabi, um, turnips, radishes. Those can all be planted. And these can be planted um, from seeds? Or yep, they can seed. be planted from seeds. Most of those are planted from seeds. You could also get transplants when they're ready. I, I would bet the garden centers will start having stuff in the next week or two if they don't have it already um, in terms of those cool season crops. Um, in terms of warm season crops, I am a firm believer in waiting until about June 1st, mm. um, which is later than most people. They you know they say Mother's Day. This year, Mother's Day is really early. Um, or May 15th is oftentimes kind of our last frost date. Um, and then it's safe to plant after. But I often find with those tomato plants, like if you wait, if you plant them May 15th, they are going to sit there in the ground and not do anything for two weeks and wait for everything to warm up around them. Versus if you keep them inside and keep them protected, they're going to keep growing. And that momentum, I think, is really, really important in terms of um, keeping those plants growing and just, you know, having them be go outside June 1st when things are warm enough and they're going to be happier and they're going to just keep skyrocketing up. Um, and I encourage the listeners to check out Agurian Seed and Garden at 5152 Hiawatha, our newest partner. So happy to have them. Excellent. And that's and that was great about them is that they have really worked on sourcing the seeds. And so they have some seeds that aren't available anywhere else. And this idea of diversity. And I, I know you, we've talked before, but like, like you loved and you tried all these different types of tomatoes, <laughs> right? Yes. And, and so – Culturally, some of the stores have like, you know, one or two different types of tomatoes to choose from, <laughs> mm-hmm. whereas 
is, is oh, there's thousands and thousands available. Yeah, I I, I definitely grew 95 plus varieties of tomatoes for lots of years. Uh, this year I have 12 varieties started, which is probably still way more than I have room for. Um, but I have a community garden plot. I have the backyard. I have the front yard. You know, mm-hmm. patio will find all the spots for the tomatoes. But yeah, it's hard to to curb the enthusiasm I have for tomatoes in terms of, you know, and, and I always, you know, go to the friend school plant sale and have to try, find one or two new varieties you have to try. And so, yeah, there's, they just come in such diversity of sizes and colors and shapes and flavors like the, you know, there's, there's smoky ones and there's low acid sweet ones. And, well, and oh, I yeah. remember like sweet 100 tomatoes for kids because mm-hmm. they're yeah. so fun to pick and they really do taste really sweet. Yeah. Um, and especially if anyone has the ability to put that in a public spot and, oh yeah you know, Definitely. just so you can kind of have that experience of nibbling. Yeah. I love the abundance of of boulevard gardens that have edibles in them lately or with little signs that like, hey, help yourself. Like I just, I think that's so exciting. Um, yeah. And I should, I, I do a shout out to like Michelle, um, uh, Michelle Shaw. She does also the edible boulevards gardens. I may, I may mm-hmm. look for that for the next shelters because that is, when we talk about our vision, I mean, wouldn't that be cool if, if it was just all if we lived in the garden? <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'm hungry. I'm going to just go, go walk around the block and see what I can find, you know? Yeah. And, Definitely. And, and that's what I the, – the other thing is to have this familiarity with these plants that come back and mm-hmm. that – that uh, I mean, what's coming to my mind right now is someone once said, you know, once you ride a bicycle, you always know how to ride a bicycle. You know, once upon a time, we were hunter-gatherers, you <laughs> exactly. know. Exactly. We, we can remember this again. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a break, and we'll be back. We're talking with Courtney uh, Cheetah with uh, the Minnesota State Horticulture Society. We'll be back talking about gardening. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hetland, and uh, we'll get back to our conversation with Courtney Cheetah from the uh, Minnesota State Horticulture Society to talk about gardening. But first, um, Mark Mark Juan um, Harper, um, he's a sophomore, and he's going to join us right now. He's going to talk about events going on today um, on Saturday. Hi, welcome to Food Freedom Radio. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Laura. My name is Mark Juan Harper. I'm the Media Connections and Live Street Manager for Speak Out and Lead. Victoria Feeder's brand-new Youth-Led Music and Arts Festival. So a Youth-Led Music and Art Festival is going on today, Saturday, April 30th from 12 to 4. So, um, And this is at Springboard for the Arts. So what's the uh, what's going on today? Well, um, there's going to be a Youth Arts Festival, of course, in the home of Fro- Frogtown, featuring our art and creativity of 13 for 21-year-olds from around the Twin Cities. The event will feature a performance stage, workshops, and an arts market where the public can purchase original artwork from young artists. So that is so vital. I mean, let's create our own economy and just show up and we can buy our, buy, buy art um, from young people. I mean, it's amazing that um, young people are really the spotlight for this event. You know, I'm a young person myself. I'm only 16. I'm actually performing at the event also. So opportunities like this, you know, I'm a young DJ, don't come often. Um, and I feel like it's great that we're giving young people a chance to really show their talents to the, to the world and to their community. Without a doubt. And I know I shared it once. Um, I mean, I know that I've had experiences when I was 16, and I wouldn't be where I am right now, and not that it's any great place or bad place. But uh, but 
But it was a lot of people supported me. And, and how do we as a community? I mean, I think it's I think it's only natural that adults support kids. I mean, it seems to be like biological or something that happens in all species. So, so, so again, people can show up and they can buy art um, and listen to music. And it's a youth-led event. Um, and it's at Springboard for the Arts. Um, and there's, there is some cost. How does that work? Today, so for our cost, it's going to be 2 to $5 for youth. Five to twenty for twenty-one and up, and if you're under the age of thirteen, you have free admission. But the great thing about this event is because we believe in equity and being inclusive to everybody in the community, so nobody will be turned away for lack of funds. Yeah, I'm telling you, if you show up with no money, you don't have any money. We're not going to turn you away because we're trying to um, build the community, not break the community. So this is the whole point of having um, very flexible cost for the event. Right, and it, 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 you get ice cream. Oh, of course. The guy mentioned this. Free ice cream. Who doesn't love free ice cream? I mean, it's going to be amazing. Um, shout out to our provider for the free ice cream, which is, um, I think it's Sweet uh, Food Cheese Ice Cream. I'm really excited. Wow, that's great. Um, so, again, tell us about the when and the where, and people just show up, right? It's not RSVP. No RSVP as of now, um, but you show up at 262 University Avenue West of St. Paul, Minnesota, which is Springboard for the Arts. It's a, or it used to be an old Ford dealership uh, right next to the big glass McDonald's. So um, it's now an organization. You will see a lot of cool art outside the building because they have a lot of, like, I think, spray painted or painted art on the back of our building. So it's hard to not see it. Um, it's going to be today. Saturday, April 30th, um, through 12 o'clock to 4 p.m. Um, and you can just show up, bring people, bring your kids. Um, and it's not just for youth. We want to also invite adults to be in the space. Um, so, yeah, that's really what we're doing. And I'm really excited that um, we can start the day off by being on the radio. That sounds great. Now, sometimes people like to look at something on a website. So this, so if they want to see the information first, it's on um, – is that on the um – where, where can people find that? People can find us on Victoria Theater's website. You can just search up Victoria Theater, Minnesota. Go to our website and go to programs and then click Speak Out and Lead. Another way to get updates about the event is by following us on Instagram at MN Youth Art Fest on Instagram. And it will be called Speak Out and Lead as a title page. Great. Is there anything else you'd like to say? I'd like to say that also this event is 100% youth organized. I mean, it's not amazing. I'm one of the youth on the planning committee, and we've been working very hard this past month to make sure that this event will, you know, happen and will be done well. Um, so we're very excited to have you all to, uh, today, and we can't wait to see you there. Yeah, it sounds like a blast. Uh, well, thank you so much, uh, uh, Markeen Harper, uh, Youth Music and Art Festival in Frogtown on Saturday, April 30th uh, from noon to 4. And again, you can get more information by going to Victoria Theater Art Center. So thank you so much for joining us and giving us this awesome thing to do uh, today. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, have a great day. Thanks. So, Courtney, I know we're going to get back to a conversation because Minnesota State Horticulture Society is all about, too, about getting the kids engaged and growing. I mean, I just loved hearing his energy. I mean, I really (laughs) did because, you know, we're hearing so many negative things. I'm just, you know, it's like overwhelming all the negative stuff we're hearing. And yet there's so much good happening. Yeah, the youth are just I'm so hopeful and optimistic for the future when I see what youth are doing these days. um, It's really exciting.
Yeah. Especially when they can share their art. Mm-hmm. I mean, sharing that art is so important. And then having the opportunity to show up somewhere and, and then directly buy from the artist. Yeah. And get exciting. ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> it's a win-win-win. Yeah. So uh, tell us about some of the stuff that the Horticulture Society, state Minnesota State Horticulture Society, does with for young. Yeah. So our Garden in a Box program is probably our flagship program uh, for working with youth. Um, we are providing partner organizations with all those supplies that I talked about earlier, um, and then providing educational opportunities as well for them to learn about how to grow things. Um, in Frogtown, we're actually doing some uh, fun projects with um, Frogtown Green and uh, starting a seed hub there. Um, so they have there's a, a park over in Frogtown that's the the West Minnehaha Recreation Center. It has a lot of fields for kids to play uh, different sports on, but uh, the whole perimeter of that whole park is planted to natives, kind of in like a gorilla par- planting way, where like neighbors just kind of. <laughs> In working, I mean, I, I think they have permission from the, the park, but, uh, you know, have have created this whole uh, perimeter of native plantings that are pollinator friendly. Um, and we've been working with them with the Minnesota Seed Project to do seed saving activities uh, in the fall. And this this year we're working with uh, the Frogtown Green um, and their staff to, to have like a, a, a hub of seed saving activities. So that will... Um, that's been including, you know, getting distributing seeds to residents, but then also helping them get started with planting those seeds this spring, and so that they can have the plants to plant in the their gardens and boulevards and everywhere in the neighborhood uh, to provide even more habitat. And then we'll have more seed collection events in the fall. Right, I'm gonna try to be playful here. So you mean you mean like a plants just produce their own seeds, and then like they grow more and more food just from that seeds? They're amazing that way. Yes. Oh, that sounds so abundant. <laughs> it is. Well, it's, I thought I thought we lived in this really <laughs> scarcity world where there's just not enough for everyone, and we have to fight over the few limited resources we have. No, it's amazing how abundant you know plants are. They 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 do not buy into the capitalist scheme of things where uh, they produce abundantly, and you know we can we can take a, a small percentage of that and help them continue to reproduce and and move around uh, and populate the spaces that need them. So. Yeah. Um, and one of the other things that the Minnesota State Horticulture has is lots and lots of classes. Yes. So you want to talk about some of the classes available? Sure. So we have a, a really exciting series coming up, um, the Regenerative Urban Land series with Paula Westmoreland. She's going to do um, classes on you know specific topics like water and soil and the plants, um, and then also like cultivating a deep relationship with the land. Um, I'm super excited about this series. There's, it's going to be a in-person, if, you know, series that people can gather together and learn about and be really hands-on in in landscape spaces. So that'll be exciting. And I'm going to slow down because both of us, I think, we've done classes with Paula West. West She's amazing. She really is over the years. And so, um, and so, um, the first class is understanding water. Many of us have been trained to think about water as a resource rather than a living system. Yeah. And water is life. Water is a living system. Definitely. Yeah. It's exciting. Like it's, it's, an, it's a nice way to sort of shift our perspectives um, and to think of, you know, things that we normally think of as resources as being inter- the interconnectedness of all of those 
aspects. Yeah. Well, I've been trying to, uh, yeah. So, I mean, and, and I think we're even trained with each other to see each other's almost resources and things rather than beings. And that's, if mm-hmm. we can make that shift, I, it would be, a, I think, a saner and kinder world. Definitely. Um, so another one that she's doing is working with plants. Um, our understanding of plants is rapidly changing as we discover the complexity of how plants communicate and live in community. Yeah. Monocultures don't work for plants. No. Go figure. <laughs> Monocultures don't work for people either. Exactly. Yeah. So like, you know, just like just like uh, humans, we need community and so do the plants. So it's exciting to to understand those relationships, to look at how they interact yeah, and the trees can actually talk. So um, I can't. Um, the one. Um, there's, so the, yeah, there's been this whole explosion. What 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 type of facts pop up in your mind? Oh, like just the idea of the the mycelium. Actually, it's even it's more than just like the plants and the soil and the water. It's the the fungi and the bacteria and all the microorganisms that are doing their thing that make this whole ecosystem and community of organisms that that support you know all life here on yeah. the planet. Yeah, and so the trees can actually talk to each other. I mean, it is amazing. It's the work of Suzanne. Um, but, um, I thought I had it in my mouth, but mine. But I mean, it, I know there's been this explosion of understanding, um, mm-hmm. or just actually, it's been an explosion of realizing how much we don't know. Yeah. Definitely. That's what it's been. And then another one is working with the urban soil. Again, not only is the water part of a living system, a living complex system, so is the soil. Yeah. And all the the microorganisms that live in that soil, um, the nutrients and how they interact. Yeah. And cultivating a deeper land relationship. Yeah. So that's, I think, the final one in the series. Um, And I think that's really about understanding uh, observation skills, how to build those, and what to do with those, you know, the things that you observe. Yeah. And part of participating in a place-based reality. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Um, and then um, May 18th, A Power of Healing Gardens, and that's with uh, uh, Dr. Lisa Philander um, with the U of M. <laughs> yes. And so um, so what is what is this healing gardens? What, what type of things is she talking about? You know, I think um, she'll be talking about kind of using horticulture as therapy. You know, like um, for so many people, growing is a really healing act. act. Um, there's all different ways that we can use gardens to, to for sensory, um, for more than just, you know, our eyes, but our smell and our taste and the touch. Um, all the senses really can be engaged in the garden um, and can really help people heal. Yeah. Um, and uh, so how do people find out? Oh, uh, then the June 7th, Russ Henry, who's been on here, um, he also is the founder of Be Safe Minneapolis. And so he's going to be talking about food forest in the cities. And he also did that. So Yeah, that'll be really exciting. I think, you know, food forests are such a great uh, way to get a lot of those perennials in the landscape and um, a way to engage with, you know, growing year-round. Yeah. Great. So we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk more about um, gardening um, with um, Courtney uh, Cheetah, the Community Program Director for the Minnesota State Horticulture Society. You're listening to Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Speaking words of wisdom 
Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. You're listening to Food uh, Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Headland. Isn't that a beautiful song? I just love that song, mm-hmm. Let It Be. And um, if anything gardening teaches us is to let it be. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't really control everything. <laughs> you know, we, we don't do that. So in studio with me is uh, Courtney uh, with the Minnesota State Horticulture Society. And one of the things about gardening, I think, especially when I started, and my inability to let it be was that I'd get really um, – worried about things like, oh, no, they're going to, you know. And so right now there's some things that we are worried about, like mm-hmm. um, the uh, problem with jumping worms. So yeah. what's what's going on with that? So jumping worms, they're an invasive worm that, unfortunately, they're like sort of – their MO is to like go through and just deplete all the soil of its organic matter um, and leave it in this really – unhappy state that's not very good for growing things. So it's really, really important to be aware of uh, the plant material that you're bringing in and what soil it's being grown in. Um, You don't want to, unfortunately, like the days of just being able to like share plants with your neighbors, you know, divide up your perennials and and spread them all around is are, it's kind it's of gone. yeah it's not really which is yeah, sad because I sad. wanted to yeah that is really sad and because we wanted to be able to share those but uh, I no longer um, yeah even someone gave me some pots and I'm still driving around them in my car because <laughs> it's like wait you got to make sure there's nothing in that soil yep now for buying from the um, uh, places like Mother Earth Gardens and Agrarian Seed and uh, yeah the, and and most um, it's definitely worth checking but most. Places like that are potting things up in potting soil that's a sterile mix. Um, and so that should not have jumping worms in it because it's the jumping worms are coming from the garden soil. And if even if you were going to, you know, dig up perennials and, and share them, washing the roots down so you've got bare roots and no uh, soil attached to them because the, 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 the life cycle of the jumping worm is such that that it overwinters as the, the eggs. It doesn't over the, – the worms themselves die off in the early spring over the winter. Um, and so in the spring, you have the eggs that don't actually hatch till I want to say sometime in July. Um, and so the the you really want to make sure that you have bare root um, things if you're going to exchange things or swap things. Um, that's important. Or, you know, dig them up, wash them off, keep all that soil on your, on your um, garden where it came from, and then, you know, pot things up in a sterile potting mix that, that doesn't have any, you know, soil in it. How big of a problem is this in the cities, Twin Cities? Um, you know, it's the the U of M is really monitoring it, and if you if you find them, you should definitely uh, contact the U of M so that they can keep track of where they are and where they aren't. Um, but it's you know it's it's definitely getting to be more and more of an issue, kind of all over. It's not you know, um, and it's probably going to be one of those things that becomes endemic in 10 years or something like that. But we want to slow that spread as much as we possibly can. So it's yeah. definitely important to be vil- vil- is there anything you, Is there any things we can do to protect our yards um, other than not taking Yeah, I mean, plants? other than really monitoring where the soil is coming from. And even, you know, if you're someone who works in lots of different gardens, making sure that you wash off your shoes really good in between those, you know, moving from place to place. Um, I know there are like people who work in landscaping who literally have different pairs of shoes <laughs> for at home versus at work, um, and just trying to be really vigilant. Even yeah. going from a community garden to something yep, else, so they don't exactly. Get it. And yeah. so, what might this? I mean, this is actually scary. So, what mm-hmm. what might it mean? I mean, it's it's going to mean probably that um, you know we have to do different things to be able to grow stuff. Um, and I'm not even sure exactly what those things are going to be. Um, 
you know, because they they do tend to really eat that organic matter that's in the soil. Um, so, you know, being careful about the compost that you're bringing home from the neighborhood site, that would be another potential source. Um, you know, in, in theory, stuff that's all coming from leaves shouldn't have jumping worms in it, but it's hard to know. It's so. the time to be extra careful, so yeah. hopefully not. Um, any other, like uh, like the Asian beetles, I mean, mm-hmm. they seemed like a big problem, but I'm not, I wasn't actually to they they yeah i mean the there's i mean there's things that we kind of all have to deal with every year i think the japanese beetles are one that um you know they're they come and go in waves some years are worse than others um it doesn't seem like they've been super horrible the last year or so but Mm-mm. um you know with those my solution is to just, just take a big bucket of soapy water uh, either first thing in the morning or at dusk when they're like the least active and go through and just <laughs> pull them off the plants and throw them in the soapy water and drown them. Um, that works way better and is more effective, I think, than the the lure traps that pull them from, you know, miles and miles and miles away. Um, also, you know, getting rid of some of that lawn because they the, the grubs and the, the immature um, larval stages really, they feed on the roots of our grass. So if we can get rid of those... <laughs> Get rid of more lawn. There's less habitat for those Japanese beetles. And I'm happy to hear this no mow may. Um, yeah, I really encourage everyone to do the no mow may. Yep. So, um, what is that for someone who might? Yeah. Not so be no mow may. There's no mow may. There's also leave the leaves. <laughs> leave the <laughs> which leaves. Which I like. Yeah. Um, and basically, it's about leaving habitat for those overwintering insects, the good insects, the good pollinators, um, waiting until you know the the. The temperature is around, you know, 50 degrees for a week or two um, so that those insects have woken up before you start cleaning out your garden. Um, you know, trying to, to leave, even leaving, you know, the dandelions, I hate to say it, but the dandelions, they, that is pollinator breakfast, lunch, and dinner when they start to bloom. Um, and it's actually really important for all the, the good insects to have that source of nectar. So I'm, I'm all for it. The dandelions. Um, I, I love making dandelion jelly. I've made that the last several years. Okay, how do you make dandelion uh, jelly? You go and you collect a whole bunch of dandelion flowers that have been ideally, you know, grown somewhere that where you know they haven't been sprayed, um, and you uh, take and boil them with water. You add a bunch of sugar and lemon juice. Uh, you strain out the the dandelion heads, um, and then you can add a little pectin, and it makes this most delicious um, jelly. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. again, encourage people to go to your um, your website because there's actually a lot of nice recipes oh, there. tons of re- – we have an amazing resource hub that has tons and tons of articles um, from the Northern Gardener magazine and, you know, things like crazy ideas like dandelion jelly. Yep, that's up there. Uh Yeah. And so um, you rely on memberships, too. So, yes, definitely. So, uh, if, you, if you're not a member, consider joining. Um, we have we have a campaign here in 2022. It's one new in 2022. So it's it's the idea of just everybody, you know, joining. And um, that's what helps spread together. It's been going for over 150 yeah. years. How cool is that? So yeah. thank you for listening to Food Freedom Radio. Um, and uh, have an awesome weekend. Thanks. You too.